You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Good morning. So good to be with you all today. So good to worship together. Thank you for being here with us at Lima Community Church. So as 2024 has gotten started. We've been in this series on the journey. It's been such a good way to start the new year for me. And uh, over these first few weeks, what we've done is we've taken a single passage of Scripture, just three short verses, and we've uh, taken phrases out of those verses, and we've kind of focused on those, uh, those phrases where Paul is helping us understand a little bit about how we walk, how we journey with Jesus. So I want to start this morning just by looking at these three verses that have kind of been our theme for this series and just start right there. Here is what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3 uh, to the Philippian church. He says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So as we've worked through the series and considered this uh, passage and the, the brief phrases from this passage, we started with Paul's statement this one thing I do. And this is the idea that God created us to be in relationship with him, that, uh, that part of his design for us is that we would journey with him. This is the one thing we must do. Whatever else you may do in your life, this one thing we must do is walk in relationship with Jesus. Two weeks ago, we looked at this phrase, forgetting what is behind. Now, my family and I were out of town two weeks ago, and so we were not here for that. But I heard from so many of you what a helpful message that was, and especially the time of reflection and response at the end when you identified something that you needed to forget, to let go of or leave behind. And uh, Pastor Chip had led us as a staff through a similar exercise uh, just a few days before that, and I was here for that, so I got to participate. And I was able to identify something that God just revealed to me that I um, have held on to, that I need to let go of because it has been clouding my present and clouding my future. And so I'm grateful from this challenge, from the grateful for this challenge from the Apostle Paul to leave behind the things we need to leave behind, that we may focus where God is inviting us to focus now. I appreciated what Pastor Chip shared last week when we focused on the phrase straining toward what is ahead. And I remember these three uh, things that that Pastor Chip identified from our journey, that we are uh, energized in worship, that we are strengthened in community, and that we are fueled by the word. And these are things that we need as people who follow Jesus, people who want to walk in relationship with Jesus. We need to, uh, to come together to church, amen, 
be, be uh, strengthened and energized in this place as we gather corporately and we worship together, we pray together, we gather together. We need to gather in smaller groups for things like accountability and encouragement, for um, tighter relationships and, and to build strength with one another. We need to spend our own time in the scripture studying God's word that we may be changed by it and that by applying it to our lives, we may become more like Jesus. So uh, those are the phrases we've started with. And today we're going to look at the phrase that actually starts this passage, the first phrase in the passage, where Paul writes, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. Now, uh, those of you that have been around Lima Community Church for a while, you've, uh, when you've heard me preach, you've heard me talk about this a lot. But any time that we are studying God's Word, any time we pick a, a passage out of Scripture, we need to think about the context. We ought to be asking questions about what, why was this written and to whom was it written. And um, we ought to ask some context questions. And I think this is an important thing for us to do any time we study Scripture— but there are times when we study scripture, when there are words or indicators in the text that tell us context is particularly important. Now, the, the most well-known of these is the word therefore. So we see this word a lot in scripture. And now this is what they taught us in, uh, in seminary and college. And I'm sure a bunch of you who haven't been to seminary know this already. I'm going to prove it to you. Um, in, in the Bible, when you see the word therefore, what you have to do is you got to ask, what is it? There you go. Okay, right. So some of you guys are with me. But, but therefore is a context word. It's a word that tells us there's something here we gotta, we got to ask. What is it that, um, that we're, you know, why is, why is this word here? There's got to be something before this. Well, this passage that we're looking at today, this has got a word like that. So I'm going to put it up here on the screen. It says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. Do you see the word that should be a context clue for us here? Not that I have already obtained all this. Wait, all what? Right? That ought to be the question we ask. Not that I have already obtained all of what? Well, to find out what Paul is talking about, we've got to go back a little bit to the passage uh, that precedes this one. So when we look back to that previous passage, we see that Paul is addressing the Philippian church about the value of being a disciple of Jesus, the value of following Jesus. Now this is the passage where Paul details all of his accomplishments, his pedigree as a pure Israelite his knowledge of the law, his righteousness and his blamelessness under the law. Paul has a very impressive track record, but he says in this passage that all of it is completely meaningless when compared to knowing Jesus. What Paul says in this passage is if he had to choose between all of the great things that he had accomplished in life, and there were a lot of them, if he had to choose between all of that and Jesus, he would trash everything he had done so that he could have Jesus. Yeah, amen. 
There's another key piece of this passage, the one that precedes what we're reading today that I think really helps us understand where we're going today. The other thing Paul says in that passage is that all of his worldly accomplishments did not make him righteous. They did not make him spiritually mature. Paul says his righteousness did not come from his faithful obedience to the law, but instead came from his faith in Jesus Christ. Spiritual maturity comes, my friends, not when we do all the right things, but when we continually surrender to the lordship of Jesus in our lives. And this this need for continual surrender is why Paul can say, I have not already obtained all of this. I've not already arrived at my goal. You see, if if our righteousness, if our own spiritual maturity was something we could manage on our own, then we could accomplish it. And Paul honestly would have accomplished it. We could say, uh, we've arrived. We We could master it just by doing the right things and by avoiding the wrong things. And then we could say, look, look how good I am. Look how faithfully I follow the law. And incidentally, these are the the very phrases that the Pharisees would say in Jesus' day. And Paul was was one of them. In fact, he was uh, a, a prominent Pharisee before he met Jesus. So this morning, I've got, uh, I've got good news and bad news. Now, who wants the bad news first? Yes, 100%. Like, I'm just, give me the bad news, let's get it out of the way so we can move on. So I'm just going to do what I want, which is give you the bad news first, okay? You're stuck, you're stuck with the bad news first. Here is the bad news, all right? This journey we're on, there's no finish line. There's no end to the journey that we're on. There's never going to be a point in our life where we can, we can reach that point and say, we're good. I'm good. I've, I've studied the Bible enough. I've prayed enough. I've been to church and discipled people enough. And uh, I think I'm going to hang it up. I'm going to go down to Del Boca Vista, hang out on the shuffleboard court, and like this is where I'm at now, right? This is not the journey we're on. There's no, there's no finish to our walk with Jesus. That's not how it works. No matter how long you live, no matter how long we walk with Jesus, each day we have to say with Paul, not that I've already obtained it all. I haven't yet reached my goal. It's the bad news. It's a long journey out in front of us. The good news is Jesus is with us. Jesus is our guide. He is our leader. He is our traveling companion on this journey. And I want you to know this morning that if I'm going on a journey that has no end, I can't think of anybody I'd rather lead me than Jesus. I can't think of anybody I'd rather have be with me on that journey than Jesus. When Paul says, not that I've already obtained all this, Paul is saying, I'm not as spiritually mature as I can be. I still have growing to do. Now, this is the Apostle Paul who is saying he still has growing to do. And if the, if the author of a lot of the New Testament still had some work to do, I think I probably do too. I think we all have a little bit of work to do. This is true for us too. So Paul's statement 
that he has not arrived, that he has not reached his goal, this is a statement that the journey with Jesus requires humility. It takes a humble person to say, I'm still working on my relationship with Jesus. Or um, actually, I kind of prefer it the way that I heard it in children's church growing up. Do you guys know the little song, He's Still Working on Me? Um, he's got some work to do yet in me. But this, this humility, this realization that we still have growing to do, it's got to be part of our journey with Jesus. So we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning look at, looking at what humility looks like. What does it mean to have humility in our journey with Jesus? Well, the first thing I think it means is that humility means I realize how far I have to go. This was the, the heart of what Paul was saying when he said that in spite of all of these things I've accomplished, I still haven't arrived. I've still not made it. Um, if, if you have been in membership class, so we got membership class coming up this Wednesday, next Wednesday. Um, if you want to learn more about the church, we'd love for you to come. But if you've already been through that, when I've been teaching it, you've heard me talk about my grandmother, uh, who we called Nan. Now, Nan was a beautiful example of this, uh, this passage of Scripture to me. Nan was 87 years old when she died in 2011. And I didn't realize this until I did the math this week, but that means she would have been 100 uh, this year. Um, with, with Nan, I don't, know, I don't know exactly when she met Jesus, but my sense from, from knowing her being around her so much was just that she would have said There's, there was never a time in her life when she didn't know Jesus. There was never a time when she wasn't close to him. I could take you to, um, to their house, Nan and Pops. These are my grandparents, right? I could take you to their house on Mount Savage Drive in Ashland, Kentucky, and walk you through the door that goes into the kitchen. And, and into the right, there was these two steps down into their living room. And there was a blue and white plaid chair in that living room where I saw Nan kneel and pray all the time. She just lived there. She wore, her, her knees must have been worn out from kneeling and praying at that chair. And next to the chair was a little end table with a, uh, a well-worn Bible on it. Nan, um, she was a beautiful example of what a journey with Jesus was like. Now, you fast forward many years to the time that I, was, uh, I had moved away, I was grown, and Nan and Pops had moved out of that house into an apartment as they were aging. And um, I remember visiting them in that apartment when Nan was near the end of her life. She was so close to the end of her life that they had brought a hospital bed in, and she was in the hospital bed in their new home. And on the table next to the hospital bed was her well-worn Bible. You see, Nan knew that even though she, she might have just had a day or two left, she wasn't done with her journey with Jesus. Jesus wasn't done with the work he wanted to do in her she knew that she still had work to do to become like Jesus. I think it's true that, um, and, and I saw this so clearly in her, the closer we get to God, the, the farther we realize we have to go. <laughs> okay, so when I was about eight years old, 
um, there was a, an exhibition basketball game at Marshall University. I got some Marshall fans in the house somewhere. I don't know if they're here today, but we got a family in the church that really loves Marshall. Um, but Marshall's really close to where I grew up. And, and the, um, when I was growing up, there was this all-star um, NBA team that came as, for a charity exhibition, and they played against Marshall's basketball team. And my dad got tickets for us to go to this game. And not just tickets, but he got tickets that would get us onto the floor so that we could meet some of the players. Now, I was super excited about this because my favorite player in the NBA was going to be a part of this all-star team. It was Dominique Wilkins. Anybody with me? Anybody love Dominique Wilkins? I don't know. I, all my friends loved Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson, and I wanted to be different. And so I picked Dominique Wilkins, right? It was like I was, I was the naysayer. Um, but Dominique was coming to this game. But um, the point of this story isn't to tell you about my uh, fanhood as a child, but to tell you that Dominique's teammate with the Atlanta Hawks was this guy named Tree Rollins. His name was Tree Okay? All right. It wasn't his real name, but that was his nickname. And he got that nickname because he was a giant. And um, he was coming to this exhibition game, too. He was going to be a part of this. Now, Tree is, uh, he's seven foot one, which in today's NBA is like a starting point guard. I don't even understand. Like, every team has like eight guys that are over seven feet now. I don't get it. But, but at the time, like in the mid-80s, Tree Rollins was like this enormous guy. We've got a picture of him that we're going to show you. This is Tree. I know, right? Look at that. Like the shoes are like, you could take a bath in those shoes, I think. So this is Tree Rollins, and he was going to be a part of this exhibition game that my dad and I were going to. Now we're sitting in the stands, and we're looking out there, and it's clear that he is physically dominant. Like you can tell from the stands that this guy's bigger than everybody else. He's blocking shots and throwing down dunks. And like, he is just a very impressive specimen, right? But after the game, when we get to go down on the floor and I walk up to Tree Rollins as an eight-year-old kid, I mean, it is like, I can't even see that far. You know what I mean? Somebody very graciously said to me after first service, hey, if you ran into Tree Rollins today, you'd still be going like this, right? It's like, yeah, thanks so much for the reminder, my friend. I'm, I'm grateful for that. But, but uh, the, from that new perspective, it was really clear to me that how physically uh, dominating he was, right? You see, the closer I got to Tree Rollins, the, the more evident it was that he's in a different category than I am, you know? And the more, the more close I get to God, the closer I walk with him, the, the longer I get to know him, the more evident it is to me that he's just in a different category than I am. He's just, I just see how far I've got to go even as I grow closer to him. Humility means I realize how far I've got to go. Second thing I think humility means is that I see myself as God sees me. There are, are things that we think societally about humility that I don't think are very helpful. Uh, 
Sometimes I think we have the idea that to be humble is to beat ourselves up, to um, demean ourselves, or to speak or think critically about ourselves. This is actually not at all what humility means. I think a better way to think about humility is to try to have an accurate, godly view of who I am. So the, the opposite of humility is generally seen as pride or arrogance. And these are certainly things that um, we've got a lot of evidence in Scripture that these are not things that, that we need. They're, um, they're things that get in the way of developing a humble spirit. Paul writes a lot about this, in, uh, really in several of his letters. There's one that I want to point out this morning. It's in Romans 12, chapter 3. It'll be up here on the screen. Paul wrote, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. So Paul is, is really clear here that we, we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. And I think we can see that an inflated sense of self-importance is a problem for our spiritual growth. The, the reason it's a problem is because we can very easily fall into the, the trap of believing we can do it on our own. We can handle our spiritual maturity on our own and we can kind of accomplish or, or master this on our own. We've got a, a um, kind of a fun little joke or a little line we use in our family. This is something that my dad used growing up, and we've just kind of borrowed it and ad uh, adopted it from him. But, you know, um, even if you're not generally a prideful person, there are times that pride sneaks in, right? And there are times when, like, one of us in our family will, will say a statement that seems a little bit prideful, even though that maybe not be, may not be kind of the heart of who we are. And so when, in our family, when somebody has one of those moments, we borrow this little line from my dad and we say, have you, um, have you read my book, Humility and How I Attained It? It's kind of just a little, like, friendly reminder, like, hey, you know, um, it's not quite how humility works, you know. Um, so so we, we need to watch for pride. Scripture's so clear about it in so many ways. But I think that we also need to pay attention not to go too far the other way, not to be too self-critical and not to, not to speak too negatively to ourselves, I really think that this is more of a struggle for many of us than pride is. I think a lot of us struggle more on this side than maybe on the pride side. And, and because of that, I want to just take a minute pastorally and just say something to you this morning, okay? You are the beloved child of God. You are created in his image masterfully made by his handiwork. And when he knit you together, he did not make a mistake. And, and you are created by God in such a way that you are, are wired perfectly for the plans he has for your life. You are wired to accomplish and realize those plans. I just want to say that to you today. In case you're one of the people who, who uh, errs on the side of, of being too critical of yourself, 
Paul says not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. But I think we've also got to be careful not to think more lowly of ourselves than we ought to. When we think more lowly of ourselves than we ought to, we are insulting the handiwork of our creator. I want you to think about, um, think about things that you are willing to say to yourself, even if you don't say them out loud, that you would never dream of saying to somebody else. I think this is what Paul means when he says we ought to have sober judgment, that we ought to use the faith that God has distributed to us when we, uh, when we talk about ourselves, when we think about ourselves. Humility means I see myself as God sees me. And then finally, humility means Jesus is king, not me. You may not know this about me, but I am sort of a neat freak. Why are you laughing? I'm, uh, there's nothing wrong with being fastidious. That's the, that's the word that I like to use for it. I'm fastidious. Now, being a neat freak and being the dad of teenage boys, not always an easy combination. Probably being a parent of People of any age uh, being a neat freak, not always an easy combination. Sometimes our boys have their friends over. Sometimes they have a lot of their friends over. And when they have a lot of their friends over and they take over the basement with their spicy Cheeto fingers and their sugary pop that may not be handled super carefully and the particular aroma that comes with a basement full of 10 or 12 teenage boys. Sometimes the neat freak gets a little flared up. <laughs> and sometimes I might go into control mode. I might spray the air freshener a little bit, deal out some coasters, like take a hit, people. I might pick up the trash off the ground, and as I throw it away, look at them like, you should be ashamed of yourself. You see, this, this is what I do when I'm in charge. If I were to listen to King Jesus in that moment, I, I think I might be a little less concerned about the condition of my house and maybe a little more concerned about this opportunity that I have to interact with these young people. King Brad says, keep everything neat and orderly. Do not touch any furniture with your spicy Cheeto fingers. This is King Brad, like at his finest, right? Braden says a very hearty amen from the front row. King Jesus says, listen to these young men. Listen to their story. Listen to their heart. Like, welcome them into your home. I can, I can choose to be king on this journey, but it doesn't go very well. A humble spirit is a spirit that says, Jesus, I am nowhere near the king you are. And so I surrender to your lordship, to your leadership. I submit myself 
to your kingship in my life. I just want to tell you all right now, as my, as my dear friends, if I'm the king, go ahead and stage the coup. Like, overthrow me. If, I, I, if I'm the king, I deserve to be overthrown, all right? Um, let's just work that out now. Because to walk the journey I want to walk, he has to be king. It's the only way I will ever be the person he wants me to be, is if I let go of the crown and I let him be the king. You see, humility means Jesus is king, not me. Would you all bow your heads with me this morning? God, we, we thank you for the truth of your word today. And I pray, Lord, that your word would be like, like a sharp sword that would penetrate where it needs to, that would cut right where we need to hear it, that we may be changed by it. God, would you give us today spirits that say, you have to be king. Would you give us spirits that say, I want to view myself as you view me, God. Lord, would you give us spirits of humility today that say we, we realize how far we have to go. I pray, Lord, that you would continually shape and mold us into the image of your son, Jesus, that uh, we may become more and more like him. Lord, thanks for this time together this morning. Would it bear fruit for our community, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? And before you go today, I want to uh, just share a, a sort of a prayer of benediction. I'm going to put a passage up on the screen. This is my very favorite passage of Scripture. I think it's such a good way to close this morning. Paul writes in Ephesians 3, he says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, knowing a love that surpasses knowledge, it's almost like Paul is saying, I want you to know something that can't be known. So what's the deal? Like, what is Paul trying to get at here? Well, here's what I think the deal is. I think that it's that no matter how long you and I walk with Jesus— no matter how close we grow to God, there will always be more that we can find. Another width, another length, another height, another depth of how he cares for us, of how he loves us. So if one of you in this room today breaks the scientific mold and makes it to 150, all right, I want to tell you that on the morning of your 150th birthday, you're going to wake up and you're going to realize there's still no limit to the love that God has for you. There's still no limit. You haven't found yet the limit. No matter how, 250, 850, it doesn't matter. You still can't find the limit to how God cares for you. It takes humility to recognize how to know something that surpasses knowledge. So my prayer for us this week is that we go with humble spirits. God bless you as you go. Thanks so much for being here today. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.